I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. What's up, guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally, and I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. And like always, I'm joined by my husband and co-host, Josiah. Josiah, how are you today? Fantastic. Thrilled for this episode. It's been a long time in the making. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited to hear and hopefully have the listener be encouraged today and to provide some awesome education from our guests that we have on the other side today. So Josiah, do you have a word of encouragement for anybody today? Maybe before we even get kicked off. Yeah. I know that you've been thinking, you've been praying, you've been really reflecting on the new year. 2021 is now here and God just seems to be stirring some amazing things in your heart and praying for our listeners primarily. Is there anything that you want to share? Man, I just think about for somebody listening today, I felt this last night, I'm not sure who it's for, but just the idea that maybe you're tuning in right now and needing hope, needing encouragement, needing joy, and your life and your faith is hanging on by a thread and somehow you chose to listen and we're just thankful that you tuned in. I don't think it's an accident. And really what was put on my heart is for anyone who grew up in church, Maybe your faith in Jesus was once active and you once pursued it. And there's been a dormant season where you've stepped away or just lived life without faith, without hope and without Jesus. His arms for you are open today. And just felt that that was super impressed on my heart and want to let you know that um, his arms are wide. He welcomes you. He has a plan of redemption and joy and encouragement. And so if that's you, We always want to let you know that there's a community of listeners who also gather to pray and to support you. And so reach out if you need prayer or encouragement. But today, we also want to let you know that we are joined by an amazing guest. Dr. Brian Pingle is going to join us today. Dr. Brian, how are you? I am doing great, you guys. It's so good Good to see you. Good to be with you guys. Great. I love it. Well, we're excited to have you join us and a little bit about Dr. Brian Pingle and his wife, Christy, accepted the senior pastor position at Cedar Rapids First Assembly already four years ago, almost five years ago in 2016. Um, Before that, they've served in various pastoral roles over the past 25 years. And Brian has served as a college professor at North Central University, where he oversaw the development of young pastors and led programs in urban and youth development. Um, he and his wife, Christy, have been married since 1991. They have three sons. And North Central was a place where our paths crossed. Mm-hmm. And um, not only yours and mine, Dr. Pingle, but Micah and yours as well. Right. We both had you as a professor in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And I remember always asking you about young adult ministry. I remember always asking about what about youth. I know my major is youth ministry, but what about college students? What about people after high school? And thanks for answering those questions, processing it, and today taking time to invest in this community of young leaders. Yeah, it's fun. You know, when I, when I first met you guys, I met you separately. Um, you were in different times and different classes. And, and not that you ever have favorite students, um, because I didn't. And neither of you were my favorite students ever. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I loved having both of you and different things. But yeah, we talked a lot about young adult work. I mean, for, for many years, I did Chi Alpha work myself and 
um, been involved in that area. And it's, it is a, I'm so glad that you guys are doing what you're doing. It's so needed. Uh, you know, I, I had a friend that used to say young adults are adults. They're just not very good at it yet. Uh, but it's, it's much more than that. You know, it's, it's helping people um, through different phases of life. And at every phase of life, we, we need people that come alongside of us and, and speak into us and show us something that we maybe didn't see uh, or didn't know we needed to even look for. And so I love that you guys are doing this. I love how God is using you guys. And uh, this, is, this is just an honor to see the two of you together, too. This is kind of, kind of fun. There we go. <laughs> Well, we were probably amateurs when you met us and we're probably still amateurs. And what I say is like the younger generation, I call them salt. And the people who are older than us, I say they're the seasoned salt. They may have a little more wisdom, knowledge and discernment. And just so everybody knows, seasoned salt is one of my favorite things to cook with along with garlic. So nobody can be offended with that, I hope. <laughs> oh, that's too fun. But for the person maybe who's tuning in who may not know who you are, would you be willing to start off by sharing maybe some of your story, journey of life, faith, leadership, and anything else you want to share with our audience today? Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I always tease. I think back in my, my 20s, I used to think I was God's gift to the world. And then I realized real quick, I'm a nobody from nowhere. Um, you know, just... I remember the first time I got to speak in a big church and I was like, man, I nailed this thing. It's just going to be awesome. This is so exciting. And uh, Ruth King was, had been, her and her husband had pastored for over 50 years together. He had, wow. he had passed away. She was a widow and she came up to me after the service and she was like, that was sweet young man. In other words, I kind of felt like, nice try. You'll get better. You know, like, uh, <laughs> but it hit me like, well, this is somebody that for 50 years, had walked in ministry. I hadn't even thought about being alive at that point that long, but had walked with people through difficult things, knew God, knew God's word, knew God's heart. And, uh, you know, so that's just kind of always been just passion. How do you, how do you have that longevity and really hear God? You know, I, I didn't grow up in the church. Um, I grew up in very mainline. Um, my, my dad had studied to be a priest. I'm a good old Scotty uh, from Wisconsin. Um, we, we understand, yes, understand the beer tent and all that it takes uh, to help, you know, fund a church. Um, and if you're from Wisconsin, you understand exactly what I'm talking <laughs> about. If you're not, you, you're rolling your eyes. Um, but, you know, that's, I, I grew up there and I, I came to know the Lord when I was in high school and uh, just really, literally my mom and her friends prayed me into God's kingdom. Wow. Um, I was pretty, pretty insecure, you know, kid like most people. Uh, but just found Jesus my, in my bedroom. Um, I was by myself literally one night and just said, God, if you're real, I'll give this a shot. And God encountered me in that moment to the point where I went back to school and people were like, Pingo, what happened to you? What, what happened? Because my life was so different. Um, I found a, a youth group that was led by a former, well, it still kind of was a hippie, um, Radical Love Youth Group. And uh, we sat on bean bags and had lamps and played guitar, baby. That's what we did. Lava and, uh, lamps, right? Lava lamps. Lava, well, we had lava lamps and and regular <laughs> lamps just sitting on the floor, like no overhead lights, nothing. Oh, yeah, it was funny. awesome. Um, and but then you know, God called me to ministry. Uh, I I did myself. I went to North Central University in Minneapolis. Um, I didn't know really any other places to go. It was the only one I knew about. And uh, so I ended up there and met my wife there. Uh, which was a good thing. So many people say it's a bridal college, but I don't, you know, hey, when you have great people, you you connect and we partners for life. Um, so right. we got 
so we, we, we were, we've been involved, like you said, in lots of ministry. I think one thing about my, my life has been different is um, really up until this point, every job I've ever taken, I've taken a pay cut uh, to go from, I've not, I've not done well at climbing a ladder. Um, you know, it was like every opportunity, it was kind of taking a step backwards and to, in some people's eyes, but for God's eyes, it was always about how do I, where am I obedient and where am I serving in the place that he needs me to serve where he can get the most out of me. Not where I could give the most for him, but where could he get the most out of me? And uh, that's led us to this point in the journey. It's been, um, you know, kind of a crazy journey uh, to get here where we're at right now. We love it. We're, we're in the midst of some pretty significant challenges. And some people know and don't know, but in the summer, um, there was this thing called a derecho, which is an inland hurricane oh that God. hit Cedar Rapids. We had 140 mile an hour winds for an hour and it ripped the city apart. Yeah, just absolutely ripped the city apart. Um, 100% of the people in our church all have significant damage. In our church, we had $3.5 million worth of damage. Um, just peeled the roof off like, a, like an orange, dumped water inside. Uh, so on top of all the other fun stuff, you know, but God places you in, in times. And that's what leadership's about, is learning how to respond and, and to, to see clearly in the midst of chaos. You know, and that's, that's what we all strive to do and try to work through and, and make things happen. So yeah, we're, uh, we're loving life. It's, it's, it's complicated, but we love it and excited about what, what God's doing. It's amazing. And so many young people we know who um, have just been a part of Cedar Rapids first, just tell us amazing things, love what God's doing there. And yeah, crazy about the storms and just the I mean, a citywide thing for sure. But I love that your heart is to serve and to lean in and pray and, and respond with worship and just give people an opportunity to rally around the heart of Christ and rebuilding together. And I remember when we were, when I was at North Central, one of my favorite classes and topics was, um, I think it was called Adolescent Psychology and Counseling. Mm -hmm. And I just look at the, the situation and scope of 2020 into early 2021 when this episode is going to be dropping. I look at, man, what a mental health crisis there has been already. And then you enter a pandemic and loneliness is at an all-time high, anxiety, depression, and just mental health challenges for all ages, and then especially for young people, it just seems like there's a crisis on our hands. And when discussing the importance of mental health, which mental health matters so much, by the way, um, you've taught us to ask four questions with regard to mental health. Can you dive into like what questions do we as leaders need to be asking and then answering in, in terms of psychology and mental health? Yeah, I think it's, it's critical. I was just um, two weeks ago here in Iowa, they did a statewide, they've been doing some panel, some like this, uh, but panel discussions online um, on mental health issues. And I was invited to, to speak on to one of those. Um, my doctoral dissertation was all on mental health and families. And, uh, you know, it's, it is critical. I'm, I am, I'm, at some point, we're all going to be incredibly saddened when the official statistics come out for the mental health state of what's taking place right now. And we have a, somebody in our church that works in you know, that aspect of the, one of the local hospitals. And the number of teenagers that are there that have attempted suicide on a regu are, 
is just off the charts mm-hmm. through the road. I'm hearing it all across the country. And, um, you know, when, when people are going through something like this, one of the things we just, we always feel like we're alone and we don't think other people understand the dynamics that are taking place. And I think a lot of your listeners and people, you know, they, we find ourselves interacting with people that man, things aren't quite clicking right. And I think we were referring to, I love teaching that class because I really felt like it was what I was called <laughs> to do, uh, but it was to come alongside people and say, when, when something happens, do you understand your role? Um, I remember I got a call a couple of, several years ago, a student that went through the class and, you know, how it's had been working with some people that actually watched several of their friends drown right in front of them. Like one of the most horrific things that you can do. And they're like, I was just so excited that I, not excited. I was grateful that I had training behind me that I knew what my role was in that position because otherwise I would have been blown away, you know? And so I think, you know, it's simple thing that you can do whenever somebody's, Hey, what do I do when someone's going through a tough time? The the four questions are really simple. One is just ask, why am I here? Why am I here? Um, What's because I'm a friend, because I'm a pastor, because I'm a leader, what brought me into this conversation right now? And, and you have to pay attention to that because otherwise you're going to miss, you know, kind of the, the key dynamics of what's happening. Hey, if I'm a friend, I'm here because I'm a friend. If I'm a leader, I'm here because I'm a leader. Uh, I've got something to offer and I'm here for a reason. Second question though is then what do I have to offer this person? What do I have? Yeah. Um, if, if you're not skilled, if you, you know, I mean, sometimes we have even those that are, those of us that have had a lot of training, and I'm in a conversation in a grocery store. <laughs> I'm texting a friend. Um, I don't have a whole lot to offer right now, but what do I have to offer? Maybe I could listen. All right. Maybe I can, uh, maybe I can just be an encourager. Maybe I can just be a friend and I can offer prayer. I can always do that. I think it's one of the most underestimated things that people run into. How many times we have somebody's going through something and we don't just stop and say, Hey, can I just pray with you right now? Right. Like all of us can offer that. Yeah. You know, you don't have to have, wisdom and fix their issue. In fact, if you try to fix the issue, you're missing the whole point. Uh, you just, you know, I can be there. I can be present. Um, the third question is really, what does this person need? And it takes a while to listen. What is it that they really need? Um, sometimes they just need a hug. And how many, you know, in the midst of, you know, pandemic, a lot of us need hugs. Um, we're missing it. We're missing a kind word. We're missing conversation. Maybe they just need to be listened to. Uh, I think most people, you just listen to them and they're going to be okay. Um, That's what they needed right there in that moment. They didn't need someone to tell them what to do. They didn't need wise words. They didn't need incredible counsel or incredible all the wisdom that you think you have. And then uh, the third, the fourth thing, the fourth question I think is one that most people miss. It's what, what are my limits as a helper? Yeah. Like how, what really can I do? Like, can I really commit to being there with them 24 seven? Probably not. Right. You know, and so if someone's really, if they're facing, that's why we hospitalize people is because they need somebody with them 24 seven. And I don't have the capacity to do that right now. So the most loving thing I can do is help them get to a care facility that somebody's going to watch them 24 seven. Maybe my limits of, as a helper is maybe I got two minutes and you need to understand I got two minutes right now and I can give you two minutes tomorrow. Um, and that seems really harsh to a lot of people, but it's actually really healthy because uh, there's a lot you can do in two minutes. And it also doesn't set them up for unrealistic expectations about you. 
And, uh, you know, so it's, it, it takes a lot to kind of unpack those four questions. Um, but, you know, why am I here? What do I have to offer this person? What does this person need? And what are my limits? I think are kind of what you're referring to that really help anyone in a practical way, help be a good, um, a good helper uh, to someone who's going through something really difficult. That's so good. I think those are four questions that all of us can ask ourselves and just take a second to reflect on before we respond. However, we initially want to respond to individuals who are wrestling, who are struggling. And maybe it's a self inventory too. Like, how did I get here? What am I feeling? And kind of going through a self care, um, you know, analysis of trying to find those triggers or those points of frustration or those points of anxiety, depression, or whatever may be um, swarming around us at times. And we have a friend who's actually a doctor and he is um, shared the statistic with us and he works in the Minneapolis area. And he said, when people come into the emergency room or they come into the hospital, they obviously ask like, what medications are you on? Are you on anything for X, Y, and Z? And he said, eight out of 10 people are on some form of an um, anti-anxiety uh, medication or prescription. That's 80% of people coming through those doors are wrestling and struggling. Now that's not the only statistic, but he right. shared that with us. And I'm like, yeah. holy cow, as a leader, as a pastor, as a volunteer, as a friend and a family member, wow, if we take a look at even our immediate family, what percentage of them, 80% say we're on some form of medication and you make it more personal like that, you're ears kind of perk up and your heart is kind of in tune with what is truly going on around us and how do we respond and how do I love them around the holiday table? How do I love them at a social gathering? And maybe we're one of those people who's wrestling and struggling. And I know for a fact that we are not God right. and we are not the Holy Spirit, but I can mm -hmm. hear from the Holy Spirit and I serve a perfect God who does have the ability to intervene on this person's behalf and to heal them and to comfort them and to love them where they're at. And I think at times us as leaders play the fact, play the card of like, well, we act like we're God. We we're act a savior. Like, right. Yeah. The savior complex for sure. Yeah. And that's dangerous territory to be walking in and to allow those people to think that we're perfect or that we have the answers or whatever you want to say there. But I would even take it one step deeper after we've kind of identified those four questions or asked those four questions. What is our job as a volunteer, as a leader, and as a pastor um, to respond healthfully? Like what is our actual responsibility? Because we're not trained psychologists, psychiatrists, like what do we do next? Yeah. Well, I think you bring up a great point because it, we have to understand we are not here for heroic rescue. Right. And, and we have to get that out of our system um, that we weren't created. And that's why I teased in the beginning. I used to think I was God's gift for the world, right? That I'm <laughs> going to be this heroic rescue to come in and help you with great wisdom and insight. And I'm going to pray for you and, and I'm going to preach a sermon and that sermon is going to cure everything. It doesn't work that way. Right. right? This We're in a very complex world and, and uh, God has got the, the only one who has ability to transform a life is Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the only one who can transform a life. It doesn't matter how creative we are. It doesn't matter how, how slick our presentations are, or how good we are with words or with people, um, or how enjoyable our personality is. None of us can transform a life, but Jesus can transform any life. And, you know, so part of it is just learning how to be a companion. Instead of trying to be a rescuer, how do you be, a, how are you a companion and to walk with them? To Jesus 
to open up their hearts and just say, hey, let me, let me walk with you. You know, it's a phrase that we use a lot anymore. I've used it for years. And the fact that it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. Um, it's okay to not be okay. And it's, that's all right. But God doesn't want you to stay that way. <laughs> he, he wants you to walk to him and he can help. It's still not going to be perfect. It's still going to be struggles because we live in a broken and sin-filled world. And, and that's just, that is the reality we live in. Um, you know, I think there's an important part of helping us de-stigmatize mental health. You know, we, we talk to a lot of people, especially in COVID right now, right? You're sick. You're sick. And so we understand that you're sick. But when the brain is sick, we don't always respond to it well. We're like, ah, oh, just get over it. Suck it up. Pray a little bit more. You'll get better. Oh, there's, there's an illness factor that something's not quite working right. Um, and, and how do you help people take that balance and get healthy? And, and I really, I agree with that. I think Jesus is the one that brings the best health in, into our minds, into our beings. You know, one key verse for me in my life, I, I memorize, I say it often is, right, Philippians 4, don't be anxious about anything. So good. But everything through prayer and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace that passes all understanding will protect what you feel, your heart, and your mind, what you think. Right. That, you know, that we learn to say, you know, I need God's peace in this. It isn't about me making the decision. It's me coming alongside of them. So, yeah, I think, you know, Mike, what you're talking about, it's just, it's critical because we have a lot of people that want to just let, let them know it's okay to not be okay. What it does is it pulls their defenses down. Right. It's okay to not be okay. You don't have to be perfect. I'm not perfect. <laughs> if you only knew, you know, um, I, I've known these two back when, right? <laughs> if you only knew, um, You've been married long enough now. You know that each other is not perfect. Uh, and the dynamics that just come with, no, it is. But we serve a God who loves us in the midst of our mess, who died for us in the midst of our mess, who who's passionate about us and wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit in the midst of our brokenness. Um, right. That's, to me, the most beautiful redemptive aspect of the gospel. Uh, we can, in our messiness, in our brokenness, um, those that are struggling with legitimate mental health issues, right. that their story's not done being written. God's got a long journey with them probably for, because there's some things that are really hard um, right. when your brain isn't always help, triggering your emotions in a healthy way. Uh, but God can come alongside and God can bring transformation. And when we have healthy relationships and healthy friendships. So I think the big thing like we talked before, is just not try to be the heroic rescuer, but be a companion. Um, who comes alongside of them and journeys with them. Picture um, just the opportunity that we as leaders have spiritually to be a companion on the same journey towards a perfect savior, the Prince of Peace, and invite people into that journey and then to walk with them. I, I love that picture. And along the journey, when there are individuals who are hurting, who are without hope, and who are needing help, I think three things that I've treasured and held on to in the midst of desperate situations is to remember that there is help, yeah. to remember that there is hope, and then to remember that there is health that we can lead people towards. And that's not us. We're not the Savior, but we can drop, you know, bring people towards the Savior and point them to Jesus right. and offer his help his friendship, his companionship, like you said. And I think something that's significant for each listener is they're listening to a different pair of headphones or through a different car stereo mm -hmm. or, you know, on a laptop. However, they're hearing this even right now, 
they're in a different setting. They're facing different challenges and they're in a different context. And something that I loved learning in college, sociology of American youth, was this idea of contextualized ministry. And can you just share with the listener today about the importance of contextualized ministry that they're in a different state, they're probably in a different church, or they might be on a college campus. And really, this takes away the cookie cutter approach of like, just copy and paste what the conference says, or it's to pick and choose what we like from even this podcast, but to really understand the assignment of contextualized ministry and the, the power that that holds for us through a perfect God who's omnipresent, omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's everywhere. And we carry that spirit that rose Christ from the grave in us to, to then contextualize ministry. Yeah. 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 You know, all you have to do is just read Jesus, uh, read the stories of his life. And you realize he contextualized every encounter. Um, there was never a duplicate. Jesus didn't have a pattern. I mean, there's like bigger patterns you can pull principles from, but when he went across the sea of Galilee over into Gentile area and came to, went to basically encounter a demon possessed man in, in a Gentile area and then set him free and then went back. <laughs> like he just went out of his way to meet one person uh, to, to see that life change when every encounter was a unique encounter with an individual. I, I think one of the struggles, you know, young leaders have is we all want to be effective and influential and have a following. And, um, it, and it is, it's a pull that we have, but Jesus was, was really more concerned with, are we intimate with him? And do we care about the people that are around us? You know, um, you know, I think, I think when we, we struggle with this, we can either struggle because it's not terribly difficult to draw a crowd, to gather a crowd. Um, if you've got a good personality and you've got some skill sets in speaking, you can gather a crowd. But to touch a life mm-hmm. requires you to understand the context of the situation that they're in. Uh, to sit down with somebody after the service so that, you know, that, that is broken and is going through some difficult things. And to see that there's something more in them than they see in themselves. Yeah. You know, I mean, when we came to Iowa, you know, I was coming out of the city and it took, it's a, it's an adjustment. You know, we were, we, we always teased our son where we lived in Minneapolis when we lived there for 10 years. Um, our son was the only uh, player on this basketball team that was not a kid of color, right? He, we would show to the game. They're like, Oh, which kid is yours? I go, we're on that team. And they're like, Oh, we know immediately which son is yours, you know, cause he just was, was very, it was a unique fit. And, uh, you know, and then we came and we're like, oh, wow, this is different dynamic. So all the things that were happening with, you know, George Floyd and all those people, you know, I, the summer I wanted to be up in Minneapolis every second of it, you know, it's just how I'm wired. That's was right but down from where I worked. Um, and, you know, it was, it, I, had, I had to have those conversations differently here right. because there wasn't the same experiences. There weren't the same dynamics. Um, we're probably pretty significantly diverse church in this context of an Iowa setting. Um, but, you know, it's still different of understanding the people, understanding their history, understanding their, their journeys that they've had and uh, to bring people along. So, you know, contextualization is tough, it, you know, Michael, when you're talking about it, because, um, you know, even I, I think back in over the years, I was a Chi Alpha director 
a youth pastor in Nebraska, you know, I was a big fish in a small pond, you know, hundreds of kids and worked at a college, unit, then went to Wisconsin and everything we did in Nebraska did not work. You know, like, I was like, oh, this, this, this was easy. I could just gather a crowd without trying. And now you go into a new place. You're like, oh, that's not working at all here. We got to figure out something new. What's the dynamics? And so it takes time to get to know your city. Right. It takes time to know your people. It takes time, you know, and so that's, it's, it's work. I think what it, what it is is contextualization is work and it's helping to realize to think small in order to achieve big things. And that takes, not everyone has the, it, it takes a while to get that in your system because we like the big and we like the big following and we like the big uh, responses on social media and all those kind of things. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily lead to transformation. And God's called us just to be intimate with him and to help him lead people to transformation. Yeah, that's so good. And uh, Dr. Pingle, like you have been a professor. You're obviously a father of three boys. You've been a part of Chi Alpha, different roles. You um, are considered a doctor now. Um, all these different things, a pastor, a lead pastor, mm -hmm. primarily what you're doing right now. And we know that that is important for your children. You've probably seen it as they've grown the importance of the church being able to connect and reach their hearts from a very young age to maybe a young adult age. And we would just love to hear your thoughts on the importance of involving the next generation as well as helping them discover their faith in the walls of the church. Like, How do we do that? How do we do that well? And if you have any thoughts about that, why is that so important to reach the next generation? Yeah, it's, it's critical. I think it's a biblical mandate. You know, I, I'd say throughout scripture, we're to teach the next generation. Um, and it's not given. There is no given, you know, even as a parent, you know, our, our kids have walked through some pretty tough things and I couldn't protect them and I couldn't keep them from it. And it helped me, you know, I had to realize like God in the garden of, of Eden, you know, nothing's guaranteed. Here's God, the perfect father in the perfect setting and the perfect environment. Wow. And his children totally walked away and commit murder and abuse and, you know, all the things that you just hope would never, if it's going to happen to God, we're going to deal with it in our lives. Yeah. No one's immune from it. Um, doesn't matter how good of a parent you are because no one can beat God and his parenting skills. And yet he still dealt with it in the brokenness of this world. So, you know, it is critical. We can't take anything for granted. Um, we have a core value here at our church. So we have some that, you know, we put up on the wall and, and one of them is really, um, we, we measure our effectiveness by the faith of the next generation. Um, so that's, that's core for us. Like, uh, Hey, we think we're doing good as a church, you know, incomes survived COVID and, and mm -hmm. we're surviving the storm and the rebuild. And, but I'm like, but how are our kids? Wow. What's the faith of our teenagers? What's the faith of our students? What's the faith of our young adults? You know, um, but two weeks ago, I did baptism service and the young uh, 19 year old guy to get baptized and uh, love how Jesus is just coming into his life and changing him. But if we don't have an environment for him to connect and to grow spiritually, it doesn't matter all the other good things that we're doing. That's critical of how do we help people grow and, and change? You know, that was, that's a, that's a key component. So for us, you know, it's, it's just one of the things I just told everybody it's part of it. You know, I was a youth pastor for forever. And, and then worked at college students for forever. Um, it's always about the next generation because that's just, that's critical. What we, 
what we're about and what's taking place. And yeah, so, you know, I think when we came here, we had, um, it was an old church, you know, so this is a church that's 80 years old. Uh, a lot of people like to plant and that's a great thing. I love people that are planting and making things new because you can reach new. Uh, but we really felt God called us to take something old and to change it and to help change, you know? And so uh, one of the things we noticed right away was our 19, 20, 25 year olds all felt totally alone. Like they were at church, but none of them knew each other because they didn't see them in leadership. They didn't see them in, in action. They didn't see them um, in positions, you know? And so it's one of the things we did is we started, you know, we started a, a group in our home and we said, I'm going to invite all the young adults right. into our house. Everyone, hey, come on, I want you to over our house. Come on, I want you to over our house. And every time we met somebody and all of a sudden we, you know, we had 30, 40 uh, people in our house and they're looking around, they're going, we had no idea there were this many of us in the church. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they just had no idea. And some of the best friendships have come out of that. And then new people have moved in that have just graduated. Uh, we have a large engineering company here in town that, that attracts some of the, the brightest, you know, from different Purdue and Iowa State, which is a great engineering school, and North Dakota State and the Midwest engineers. They come, so we got all these 20 year olds showing up in the community, and we're like, we got to tie them in relationally. <laughs> um, you know, so it's, it's one of, again, another value we have is we, we have kind of five things that we, that we really focus on helping people know God. But the second, so key ones that are kind of normal, but the one that we've, we've added that I think is unique is find your, find your people. How do you help people find their people? Um, because we are relational beings. We need each other and we need connection. So yeah, that's working to make that happen. You know, I, I was worked a lot with Kara Powell and the, the transition um, exactly. kind of how do you help people transition from high school to the next phase in life um, and did some other things separate from them, but kind of shared paths. And, you know, the biggest thing that we found in all that research was Students and young people and young adults need multi-generational relationships. It's just so critical that your faith is going to grow better when you, when you have relationships with people in other generations and that you're connected with them. So, hey, I can talk to you about difficult things. People like me. People believe in me. And they're not just the church. Whenever I hear people say, well, that's the church of the future, I just want to punch them in the throat. Um, I'm not real nice. Because <laughs> I'm like, no, that's the church of now right now right. you know so like don't wait for tomorrow get them in leadership now get them serving now get them in an opportunity to be seen and uh watch what god will do right dr pingle this is fantastic and you get my excitement going because this is a shared passion of ours and i remember being i don't know 18 20 years old and our pastor um, that I grew up under, Pastor Jerry Stranquist, he just said to me and some others, hey, we're going to do a barbecue at my house. Invite the young adults. They're all welcome. Mm -hmm. And that communicated something not only to me mm -hmm. as somebody who, this is my pastor, like I've attended this church much of my whole life. I grew up here. I know I'm welcome. But the beautiful thing is that resonated with a whole bunch of my friends from high school. And they realized like, oh, this is your pastor's house. Like this is a fun backyard. And they now felt like they were welcome. Right. Because they In also, the right. They were, they felt welcome right. at church, but they also knew like we're welcome at this home. Mm -hmm. And so I love that you touched on this. I was going to get there, but 
I think that I just want the listener to catch this, that you were the lead pastor, the senior pastor of a church opening up your home. You had three children of your own. You have a busy life, pulled in a lot of directions, and yet still found the time or made it a priority to just mm-hmm. say to the next generation, you're welcome, you're wanted, you're invited. And I look at what an, a massive opportunity mm-hmm. we as Christian leaders have to open up the doors of our home, to open up the doors of our table, right. to say you're welcome here. And then also you touched on it that they need relationship with each other. And how cool to meet a new friend in the home of your pastor, to meet other Christian friends, but then also to feel connected and related to at church. And then to find like the point you were just talking about intergenerational faith moments where kind of like Moses is described where he was fighting this battle and he had Jethro, to provide mentorship and guidance and discipleship and leadership and counsel in his life from a generation that had gone forward. It was his father-in-law. He had those people alongside of him, of Aaron and her to speak for him. He had a speech impediment to hold up his arms, but then also he had a a Joshua to invest into the next generation. And um, I think that that's just phenomenal. I remember one other thing I want to mention here is just for, maybe it's for the listener, for the leader, something that I remember being a college student and I got my first hospital call. I'm interning at a church and I'm like, Dr. Pingle, what what do I do? What do I say? Like, I'm about to go right now. What do I do? And you're just like, be a non-anxious presence. And so I show up at the hospital and I park and I just start walking slowly. And, mm-hmm. and now every hospital visit, every tough situation, I mean, there's been tragedies that have happened in our church and in our ministry and in people's lives. And to just show up and to realize that my anxiety as a leader cannot be present right now. I get to be a non-anxious <laughs> presence. And that's something you taught me. And I just hope that the listener can catch that today, that whatever journey you're called, to walk with um, and to, to walk with people, you carry the presence of God and you don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be nervous or afraid. You just get to be a non-anxious presence. I don't know if you'd want to say anything on that, but that was so key to me as a young leader to not be overwhelmed because I was a little nervous. I was a little overwhelmed. It should be, right? I mean, it's or you're like, I don't know what to offer. I don't know what I'm doing right now. This is crazy. And, and somebody's going through something really difficult and they need something that's bigger than me, right. you know, and, right. and that is overwhelming. It's, it's honestly, it's, it's the reason why I went, kept going on to school, um, you know, and kept, because I, I remember the first time I did a hospital call by myself when I was a young pastor. And, and that, what that means is then the lead pastor goes, Hey, I don't want, there's somebody from another church that needs somebody to go visit them. You go do it. And so I was like 22 years old and I got sent down to the hospital to visit somebody whose mom is on her deathbed. And I had no idea what I'm walking into. I went home, put on my suit and my tie because that's what you did. And I didn't know where to, I was so nervous every step of the way. I walk into the room and, you know, the guy who called to have about his mom is older than my dad, right? Grandma that's dying um, is older than my grandparents. And here I am a kid walking into the situation and you could tell they were panicky. They were she was in pain and 
I honestly, to this day, have no idea what I said while I was there. I don't remember any of it. But I do remember that God, I just kept praying. I'm like, okay, God, I need you. I need you. I need you. And I did get to pray with, with her and her husband to receive Jesus for the first time in their lives. Oh um, you know, the, the presence of God just showed up in that room in a powerful way. And I was like, okay, God, you worked in spite of me <laughs> because I was a mess. And, uh, you know, but then to learn, well, how do I, how do I create an environment in my life that God can use and uh, that I can, that he can be more evident. And, and I, and I love that phrase being a non-anxious presence. Cause I think it really does help us. Um, people don't need more craziness like, uh, you know, there, I, I use the phrase sometimes people will emotionally vomit on you. Yeah. And, uh, if, as your parents, right. And parents, of little ones, you understand that when your little ones just throw up on you, cause it happens all the time that you just take it, you clean it up. You don't go, ew, eh, eh, you know, you don't overreact to it. It's just part of it. <laughs> is that, is that my <laughs> but, but learning how to just be non-anxious no it's just part of it i'll just it's just part of not being healthy right now I'm not going to worry about what you said i'm not going to try to fix all your weird theology and your weird things that you just brought up in this moment um i'm going to be a non-anxious presence and we're going to deal with the real issue because a lot of times people are going to spew other stuff right. in, in those moments. And they're really not the core issue that they're dealing with. And, and you've got to ignore those or go past those or just deal with it later and help them deal with what they really need right then and there. Yeah. I, I remember years later, I went to a hospital visit and, uh, and I'm on the elevator and I'm going up to visit somebody. And um, the guy that's in the elevator with me just turns to me and goes, so what do you do? why are you here? And he had a really weird inquisitive look on, him, on his face. And, and I was like, Oh, I'm pastor. I'm coming to visit somebody. He goes, I could tell by your demeanor that I was one professional speaking with another professional. He, he was the chaplain at, at the church that you understood your role and you understood you had a purpose for being there. And, uh, he go, you know, it's just, it was such a night and day difference from when <laughs> my suit and tie. And I wasn't in a suit and tie at that point. You know, I was much, I was just me but I knew my place and I knew that in that moment I'm visiting somebody that needs something bigger than me. And all I'm doing is I'm just carrying God's presence into that room and letting him so care nice. for them and, and do something because when they're in a hospital, when they're in those situations, they, they need Jesus. They need, and that's much more than what I can be. <laughs> in right. any given moment. Yeah. Right. I just think that's a great reminder for myself and for any of the listeners, hopefully that can relate to that is to recognize that we need to depend and have that dependency on God, not just in the hospital visits, not when we come up against things that seem bigger than us, because God should be involved that intensely in every single decision throughout our, our daily things, throughout our walk, throughout our ministry, throughout our friendships. And not to say that you need to be intense, but I mean to recognize that, yeah, we aren't God's best thing on this earth. You know, we're not walking around like we have it all together. We know it all, but we're constantly depending on mm -hmm. the presence of God to go before us, the Holy Spirit to prompt and speak to us and for God to use us in those situations. Um, good, bad, ugly, beautiful, whatever it is. Uh, we don't know. God can take any bitter thing and make it a beautiful offering back to him. And this is a great reminder of, yeah, as a leader that we we can be a thermostat and we can, you know, set the tone yeah, and set sure. the temperature in any room to walk out in the authority that God has given us with confidence, but also just taking that breath to, to 
you know, be relaxed and to, to know our role, exactly what you said. And we've reached one of our favorite parts of this episode, Dr. Pingle, that we ask five questions in five minutes. It's called five and five. So fun. It's a rapid fire. Do you right, ready for the challenge? Ready. All right. I'll go first. Is that good? Go for Ladies it. Ladies first. All right. Question one. If you could describe your soul in this season right now, what three words would you use to describe it? So I've actually been using these three words a lot lately. It is challenged but confident. Ooh, great. Challenged but confident. All right. Because it's uh, there's a lot more than I know what to deal with in a lot of these things. But I'm very anchored and I know that God is leading and I know that God's taking this. And so, you know, hope is not a, a wishful thinking word. Hope is an anchored in the presence and the reality of who God is. And so, so I, I challenge but confident. Those are my three words. That's good. Amazing and inspiring. And I remember um, something that you said to me when I graduated college that I did not feel uh, qualified or, or like I had what it took. And I remember getting a card in the mail from North Central and you and the team had signed, you are enabled to create and change culture. And can you talk for maybe the person, this is off script, but just popped it in my head. Like, can you talk about what does it take to create or to change culture? Uh, yeah. And in 30 seconds, right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's really what we're called. Culture is repetitive. One of the things about humans, humans like to create rules and then bind ourselves to those rules we create. And, you know, culture is, is helping people become, free. some of it in changing culture is being free from rules that don't have meaning in their lives. And uh, so it's, it's, I think one of the great ways to change culture um, is, is grace and forgiveness. Um, and, and then not taking things overly seriously. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. Cool. You know, just letting, not having some fun with some things and not uh, taking, oh, that's what we had to do here. I, you know, 80 years of culture came wow. in and how do we shift and change? And, you know, I, I used to walk into the office at our, at our church and, and it was not the culture I wanted to live in for the rest of my life. Right. Uh, and now you walk into our office and it's a joy. It's a lot of fun, wow. the right people. And it just takes one noticing the things that you want to notice that are right, um, and 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 building upon them, mm -hmm. and then finding the right people you know that you can come alongside and, and catch the vision. You know, culture shifting is vision casting. It really is because we've got to be able to talk about a preferred future. This is what we're going to be. This is how we're going to work. Um, we're not bound by these old rules. So you know, in some ways, culture changes liberation and uh, helping people feel liberated from things that they thought they used to be bound to and wow. realizing I doesn't have control over you. It's okay. And, you know, you have forgiveness and grace as you make those chains and you watch chains come off of people and new hope kind of arise. That's the short version. <laughs> Good curveball. Okay, here's Amazing. a second curveball for you. Um, if okay. you could describe, or oh, no, I already did that one. If you could ask Josiah and myself one question today, what would that question be? Oh, I have so many. Um, you know, I, at one point I was like, so how do I get you to move to Iowa? Um, that was one, you know, <laughs> I love you guys. I love hanging around you. But um, now that you are in the midst of, you know, doing your podcasts and doing your ministry, uh, what is the biggest, you know, kind of what you're talking about, young adult ministry, 
um, that's the hurdle for church when it comes to, to our young adults right now. What's their hurdle? Mm-hmm. I, I know what I've heard and I know what's been in different generations, but I always want to know what you're hearing today on the ground, on the streets, that's keeping them from Is it, are you asking what's preventing the church or the young adults? The, the young adults. Okay. Yeah. You want to go first? Sure. I think that, you know, um, this idea of the rules, regulations, um, also paired with, you know, what people will call hypocrisy or judgmental. And, and where that, I think, stems from is really a generation of people who've grown up without scripture, without the authority of the Bible in their lives and without church attendance. And then the, um, the unmet expectation of Christians or previous generations of like, this is how you're called to live, you know, and, and our projection of expecting Christ followers expecting the world to live as if the Bible was their authority and code of conduct for community and standard for living. And then their expectation of, of in, in response to that projection onto them of being like, you don't know me, you, we don't have relationship. And so I think it's a unmet expectation of a generation of people longing for relationships and that, expectation of pre-believers or non-believers or people who have no religious affiliation, their expectation is that people would want to have relationship with me. And then that expectation is unmet. And then the Christian's expectation is that they're going to live how I live. They're going to, you know, hold the importance of Jesus or the authority of scripture. And so I think you have two sides of unmet expectations. And I think where it starts is relationship. And I think where it starts is taking the stripping down the walls of expectation or projection of religion and culture and and really just beginning with, I don't want anything from you. I want relationship with you more than I want anything from you or for you. Yeah. That's, you know, it's a five-minute segment, and you just took all five minutes of it, Josiah. So thanks. <laughs> oh man, um, I guess how I would respond to that is just something that I was asked by North Central students. I went to back to school when I was twenty-seven, so I was a lot older than some of the other students that I was sitting in the classroom with. But I remember coming up to my graduation in December of that year, and the number one question I got from so many young adults, and it was baffled me was how do you make friends and for them as a generation I guess I've never had problems making or keeping friends but I feel like many of the people that we've mentored or come into our ministry or come alongside us really have a challenge with making friends keeping friends and knowing how to properly invest in them meaning face-to-face interactions removing the distractions of I'm going to text you and you're in the same room. You know, I'm going to go to the lake cabin with my family because I live with my parents and they are making the shots and the calls in my life. And I'm 27 years old, you know, so there's this foreign concept of, I don't know, extreme hovering parents that are making the decisions for their students and for their young adults up until the age we've seen up until the age of 30. And I, I hate to even have to say that, but I'm like, 
living with mom and dad until you're 30 and they're still telling you at age 24 that you cannot drive downtown Minneapolis because it's dangerous and you live in a suburb and you're 24 and you have your own car, but you're under their house. I'm just looking at like, okay, do young adults know how to do a couple things? Do they know how to critical think? Do they know how to problem solve? And is their faith their own? And I think if you can help young adults identify those and help the church open up the eyes of, of the fact that, wow, they may not know how to do these three things, or they may, may not even have answers to these three things, or they've never been asked. So if I ask a young adult, hey, what's your opinion about this? Well, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Well, I don't know. It's like they're, they don't even have enough personality to make and form an opinion that's their own instead of riding on the coattails of culture or something else they've heard somewhere else. So I'd say distractions, a lack of community, um, parents can definitely be a hindrance in the church faith walk dynamic. So those are just things I've personally seen there. I've never read any studies or statistics or theories okay. about any of that, but just what we've been exposed to in, I don't know, 10 years of ministry in different places together. So. Yeah, well, oh, yeah. Micah, what Micah said just though, you know, I think in here in the United States, American Christianity has hovered around moralism um, for way too long. Mm -hmm. and, and moralism creates that barrier based upon my actions and your actions. And Jesus doesn't call us to moralism. Jesus calls us to abide in his presence. That's good. And, and that's a very different dynamic. You know, Paul, the whole letter to the Romans is about getting away from moralism, uh, getting away from trying to do things to earn your salvation. Mm -hmm. Or once you're in, this is how you stay in the club. You know, and it, it creates a, we have to, in the church, I think, do a better job, especially with our, in the generations, we're seeing it with political dynamics, with racial dynamics of just going, I don't want your moralism I, but I'm not repulsed by Jesus. And how do we create room for Jesus to come in and let Jesus work on helping us become holy, helping right. us become set apart. And, and that's going to look different. It's not based upon a preconceived idea. Cause remember what we talked about before, Jesus is unique with each person. And as we abide with him, he is going to change us and, and soften us. So as, I think it's important in the church today that we, we recognize what it is that we're actually dealing with in that. Yes. So good. <clears throat> so good. And I would just ask this question, um, not in a moralistic way, but just in a life experiences way. Would you be willing to share maybe a mistake that you made in life leadership or ministry and maybe what God taught you as he brought you through that process? Oh, too many mistakes. Um, and, and uh, yeah, it, it's just, you, you learn, um, I think one, there has to be a humility. Uh, that, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect. Hey, I blew it. Hey, I didn't handle that right. You know, probably the easiest ones are always when you respond out of emotional um, dynamics, you know, when, when you're just emotionally uh, vested in something and, and you, you over, you over respond, um, you know, that tends to be what most of us, a lot of us do. And to go back afterwards, you know, I'm, I remember having to do that with even my kids, you know, a couple of times going back and just apologizing Hey, I have, I've done too, I over responded. I shouldn't have responded that way. That was, that was a mistake on my end. And, uh, you know, it just, it just helps bring a, a sense of humility and, um, a sense of, of growing. We've got to be willing to say, Hey, I don't know it all. And there are times I'm going to make mistakes and to be open to other perspectives. And that's, that's really how God's kind of helped me through a lot of those things. 
It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And, you know, if you could maybe sit across from a young leader and share one piece of advice over a cup of coffee, or if you could share with a room of, of college pastors and young adult ministries one thing today, what would you leave them with? I, I think I'd go back to, it's probably my favorite title of a book ever. Um, book's okay, but the title's awesome. Uh, <laughs> Eugene wrote a book years ago called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Eugene and, Peterson. Yeah, a long, a long obedience in the same direction. That's, that's really what God has called us to. He, he hasn't called us to just get through a year or to a flash, but it is, um, there, there's models of discipleship I've been working with, with my church and trying to develop and helping people understand that there's a, a level of, of abiding with Jesus. There have even been some studies that only about 2% of American Christians ever get to. I want to be one of them. I want to be one of those that is so comfortable with the mystery of God and with the uniqueness of how God works that just blows me away that I'm confident no matter what happens. And, you know, so, and that only comes through abiding and, and take, letting him use you to take risks and to be, have a long obedience in the same direction. Almost every young, every Christian, we're going to hit walls. And uh, most, most Christians in the United States, what I've noticed, and when they hit those big spiritual walls, quit growing uh, because it comes, it comes out of, they have to switch from understanding what is it just to do things with God or for God to just to be with them with no other expectations. And we say that a lot in church, but the truth is we don't really get it. The depth of what that means escapes most of us. And so that's why I'd, I'd really encourage be have a long obedience in the same direction where you are with God right now. He wants to take you deeper than you can ever imagine where you're at now. And, and that just, that takes time and it takes commitment and it takes going through really, really hard things in life and learning to trust him in the midst of the most difficult things, knowing that everything can be shaken, but he will never be shaken. So. That's so good. What a great way to end and a challenge to end all of us as listeners, as pastors, as leaders, is learning how to truly delight in the Lord. I think the Lord's speaking, delight in me, abide in me, spend time with me. And we don't know how long we're going to have on this side of eternity, but to embrace every moment, embrace every conversation, embrace every prayer and trial and tribulation and be able to rejoice in the fact that God is in control and we need to kind of let loose of those reins at times. So Dr. Pingle, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank I honor you. you guys. It was so fun to have you. What a blast. And if you want to know more about Pastor Brian Pingle and Cedar Rapids first, you can connect with us at our website at youngadults.today as well as across all of our social media platforms at youngadults.today. Until, until next time, this is Mike and Josiah. We're signing off. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I'm getting charged up right now.